Amen, church. Good morning. Nah, y'all a good looking group of people. I'll tell you what. Join me this morning as we read from the word, Matthew chapter 8. Start at verse 1. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leopard came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. And when he had entered Capernaum, the centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such a faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, in that place there will be neat weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done. Let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him that evening, and they brought him many who were oppressed by demons. And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Great is your name above all names, Father. We thank you for this word. We thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. Father, I pray that you descend upon us as we receive this word this morning. Open our hearts and minds and ears to what Chris has to say this morning. I pray that you be with us and we can take this message out to the world this week. In your name we pray. Amen. Isn't it good to know King Jesus, right? We have a king that reigns on high, but also teaches us from his word, right, on the mountaintop. We just finished uh, three weeks of going through the Sermon on the Mount where um, it felt like we were speeding through that thing, right, which had the Beatitudes, um, which had this beautiful picture, these foundational beliefs. And then we had this section of, of you heard it said, now I say to you. And then we had this final kind of kingdom living section is about your heart attitude, not always just about what you do. And so remember, if you remember last week, we had this sort of sets of three, right? We had this rhythm by which Matthew was writing this idea of who Jesus was. He was presenting Jesus to the Jewish nation as their king, as their Messiah. And we're going to see that again in these next few chapters, chapters 8 and 9, because Matthew does not write his gospel particularly in chronological order. 
He begins to arrange things together. For example, we know that Jesus did many healings of people throughout the scripture. We're going to see nine of them in these next few chapters, or three sets of three that are sort of grouped together as he's going to show us that Jesus is more than a king who stands up on high and tells us how to live. He comes down into the valley, down to where we're hurting where we're broken, where, where the people that we love are hurting and broken. He comes down into that, that muck and that mire to be with us as his people. This is a good king. How many kings do you know that, that would be on, lifted up on their throne, but then they'll get down and do the dirty work? We see Jesus as a servant king willing to serve alongside those that he loves. And so as we dive in today, we're going to look at three different examples of healing. The next week we'll kind of have a teaching and then see three more. And we'll just kind of go through that rhythm as Matthew goes through that rhythm throughout the book. So let's start in verse 1 of chapter 8. So when he came down from the mountain, what mountain? Uh, where he gave the Sermon on the Mount, right? So he's coming down from the mountain, and great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. It's beautiful, but scandalous. This is crazy. I know I woke some of y'all up right there. Um, It's crazy, right? This idea that a leper would approach Jesus and talk to him and ask him for healing is unheard of. This could have cost him his life. He should have been at this moment, because he didn't yell, unclean, unclean, because he didn't stay off away from the people, he could have been taken out and rocks thrown at him and killed. That's what should have happened. And yet, this man who has a living death, who's already outside of the city because of his disease, has a roll of the dice and sees Jesus and approaches Jesus and falls down before him. And look what he says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, today I'm going to teach you a lot about leprosy, probably more than you actually wanted to know. All right, don't worry, I didn't bring any pictures. You can go home and Google that yourself, okay? Um, But we're going to talk about leprosy. We're going to talk about what it actually is. But before we do that, a little Bible trivia, all right? When was the first time we heard of leprosy? When was the first time biblically? What do you think? Anybody got a guess? Okay, Exodus 3, right? Moses. You remember Moses? You know that I love this story. The burning bush, take off your sandals, the place you walk is holy ground, right? And Moses goes and God speaks to him. You're going to be the one to set my people free. But you might remember Moses was a little hesitant. He wasn't particularly like, yay, I'm going to go back to that place that I was at before, right? But God convinced him. How did he convince him? Remember, he threw the staff on the ground, turned into a snake. Moses ran. God's like, hey, pick it up by the tail, which is not how you should pick up a snake. Okay, don't pick up a snake by the tail, but picks it up by the tail, it becomes a staff again. And then he says, hey, Moses, put your hand inside your cloak. Pull it out. Oh, leprosy. It was leprous, right? Put it back in there. Oh, it's back to normal, all right? This is the first time we see this idea of leprosy, which in the Bible is kind of skin diseases. It may not exactly be the leprosy we have today. We know it's some sort of flesh-eating bacterium that takes place, right? Then we have this story in 2 Kings 5 about Naaman. Have you heard of Naaman? In fact, let's go back. It's it's an amazing story, right? Go back to 2 Kings chapter 5, and we we see this healing of Naaman 
by Jesus. A Gentile, a Syrian comes in and he's getting healed by Elisha, who's going to be sort of a picture of Jesus. Right. So look at verse 1. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor. Because of him, the Lord had given victory to Syria. And he was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. On, now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel. And she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. At, she said to her mistress, Would that my lord be a prophet or with the prophet who is in Samaria? He would cure his leprosy. So Naaman went in and asked the Lord, asked his Lord, thus and said so, spoke to the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver. By the way, a talent is 75 pounds. So if he took ten talents of silver, he took 750 pounds of silver. Woo! Street value for that today. In the millions, right? So he's bringing this money, and then he brings gold, right? He brings changes of clothing that are, and he brings all of these things. Why? So that he can hopefully buy the chance to be healed, all right? Uh, verse 6 says, And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I sent to you, I have sent to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of leprosy. So who does he take it to? The king. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and he said, Am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends words to me to, that, to cure a man of leprosy? Only consider and see now that he has a quarrel with me. So what did the king think? You're sending me Naaman. I can't heal him. If I send him back without being healed, is this going to cause war? Is all of a sudden Syria going to continue to invade and it's going to cause this whole uproar where so he tears his clothes in, in just dishonor, just in lamenting before the Lord. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Let him come down now to me and I w that I may know, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came to, with horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. Now, if you're Naaman, you're coming up in your chariots and you're coming up the door of Elisha the prophet, how do you picture this going down? You're Naaman, you have leprosy, you're hoping here comes Elisha out, like maybe Rocky, like Eye of the Tiger music, he's like walking out, right? Like, oh, fire from heaven comes down. Oh, that's kind of what you picture with healings, isn't it? Like this dramatic, the arm is broken, like, whoa. He's just picturing this scene. But look what happens because this is not the scene that plays out. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go, wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be made clean. Um, Elisha didn't even come out. Elisha sent the servant out. That's, that's not how it's supposed to go. You're supposed to come out, like, hit me in the head and do, like, all kinds of crazy stuff. And all of a sudden, I'll be healed. You just said, go take a bath seven times in the Jordan. But Naaman was angry and went away saying, behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. 
Arnot, Anon, and uh, Paphram, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash them and be made clean? So he turned and he went away in a rage. It didn't happen like I wanted it to. I'm out, right? Naaman has traveled all of this way with this hope that this little servant girl that said there's a prophet. He's here with the prophet, and the prophet tells him something, and he's ready to leave. But luckily he had some more helpers with him, right? So he turned, and he left. He was going to leave in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word that the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? He, has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So the servants say, come on, what's he going to do? Just go do what the, the prophet says. So he went down and he dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was uh, restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Woo! Right? Isn't that amazing? This is, a, this is one of the times in the Old Testament that this Gentile man who had leprosy was healed. And so Naaman is healed. He comes back to Elisha, and Elisha's like, no, I don't want your money. His servant goes out and gets it. You can read the rest of the story later. It just goes bad for him. But Elisha's like, God's got this. Just do this simple thing. Sometimes we think of healings and being this dramatic, waving, kind of almost magical sort of thing, when in actuality, when God does a work in us, it's many times quiet. It's many times meant for us to cherish it's not always meant to be proclaimed to the whole world. And that's exactly what's going to happen in our story here. Because Jesus is going to, going to heal this man. He's going to bring him back to wholeness and bring him back to life. Right? Now, before we do that, though, let's talk about leprosy. Okay. What is leprosy? Now, when we imagine leprosy, right, we imagine the, the skin-eating disease. Right? So it's actually called mycobacterium leprae. Right? So we're, we're in class now, science class. Okay? Microleprium um, microbacterium leprae, right? It works at a cellular level, and it begins to release these cells. And so it actually gets into your cells, and it begins to, to make more of this bacterium that's going to go around your body. And what actually happens is it causes what's called a glove and stockings response, meaning that it, it attacks your hands and your feet, right? It has this neural pathway that it goes down and it starts to attack those areas. The reason that it attacks those areas is because it's the coolest areas of your body. In, well, it's hard to imagine cold in Texas, but can you remember winter? There's this thing, seasons, right, that happen. So that's like, like summer and then less summer, right? It's actually called winter, and it gets cold there. And so in, when it gets cold, have you ever seen your, your fingers get kind of pasty, white? There's not good circulation there, Right, because your extremities sometimes get really cold, right? And that's why the, the bacterium attacks these areas. They attack the fingers and the hands and the toes and the feet, and it finds those kind of cooler areas and attacks them. Um, and after contracting leprosy, um, in fact, science still doesn't know exactly how it spread. They don't know if it's like contact. They don't know if it's like um, in your saliva and it gets into a cut. They don't know exactly still, even in science, how leprosy is is uh, contracted from other people. But they do know this, that armadillos carry it, right? So don't let your kids play with armadillos, okay? That's just a lesson for today. Um, but sometimes it takes months or even years for leprosy to show up, right? Here's, here's a third fact. Symptoms start with a small lesion that is easily treated, and nowadays they have great treatments for leprosy. Um, but if not treated, the lesions begin to accelerate exponentially, 
right? If you treat it early, it's great. But if you wait too long, it becomes even harder for them to treat it. One of the most dangerous parts of leprosy is that it attacks the nervous system. And what it does, it begins to kill you on a, on a nerve level so that you can no longer feel or touch on the end of your extremities, which causes a lot of danger for us. Have you ever thought about pain actually being a gift? Because if you couldn't feel that pain of the heat, you might just leave your hand on there to damage it beyond repair. If you didn't know the pain of a sticker that's in you, you might never take that splinter out and it gets infected and it, and it causes problems in your body. That pain sometimes can actually be a blessing to us. And what leprosy does, it causes a deadening of the extremities and you begin to hurt yourself. You begin to, to hurt yourself in ways that are almost irreparable at that point. And then it begins to attack the facial regions, which is what makes leprosy so damaging. It makes your nose collapse and it, it attacks the ears and begins to make them droop in many different ways, which causes this social stigma, right? If I were to walk in and my nose had fallen off, you'd be like, man, I love you, but whoa, what's going on in, in your life? Something, something's not right with you, okay? And so this is what's happening in this leprosy. It creates a fear in people where they begin to be outcast. And what's interesting, when, it, when you begin to study leprosy and begin to look at sort of this disease and just the horrible nature of this, this, this brokenness that's in our bodies, you see an amazing parallel to sin. You see an amazing parallel between leprosy and sin that gets into our life. Because think about it, where does sin begin? It begins internally. It begins at the core of who we are. Remember we read this in the book of James, that sin comes when we are lured and enticed by our own desires. Now there's this inside of us, there's these core things in us that lead us into sin, and then sin leads to death. And you know where sin attacks the most? The areas of our heart that are cold. The areas of our heart where we don't let the gospel message come in this is where sin is so prevalent. We, we shut the doors in our mind. We think, well, let's pretend like that's not that. Lord, I'm going to give you 85% of my life. Is that what Jesus wants? Or does he want all of it? Because these areas that we keep hidden, these, these closed doors, that's where it begins to grow. And that's where the, what, what's that smell? Oh, that's the sin in my life. And it could be there for months or even years before it comes to the light. You see, sin is not that hard to treat in the beginning when it first starts. But if we don't treat it early, if we don't bring that sin to the light, it's going to begin to carve a pathway in our hearts and our minds until all of a sudden we're so deep into this thing that it's hard to get out. It's like pulling something out of our life that we used to cherish. And now God wants to chisel that thing away. And probably the most dangerous thing about sin is that it makes us numb. We no longer think that our sin really affects the people that are around us. We don't, we, don't, we don't consider our sin. We think, oh, no one knows about this. It's going to be okay. But without realizing it, it begins to seep out in our life and damage the people that are all around us. And then sin attacks our identity. It can no longer be hidden. It begins to come out of our life. And before we know it, who we were... What we've done becomes our identity. It becomes a scarlet letter that we begin to go around and like, oh, I'm a gossip. And we now pronounce it to other people. And it makes a, a social stigma. All of a sudden people isolate away from us because we haven't treated the symptoms. We haven't gone in and got cured of the disease, which is our sin in our life. Good news, Jesus died so we could be healed. He died so that we could be set free. 
And just like this leper goes to Jesus and says, if you will, you can make me clean, we go to the Lord. Fall on our knees and we ask the Lord, Lord, forgive me of my sin. I believe. I believe in you. And we're going to see this picture of the gospel and redemption all the way through this story. It's just a beautiful, incredible story that's in there. Again, here's what he said. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Jesus touched him. How long had it been since this man had been touched by somebody else? How long had he been an outcast, had to live outside the city, away from his family, away from his friend, away from, quote, unquote, God? Because they believed that God was in the temple. He had been an outcast. And now Jesus himself touches him, and he says, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Woo! Isn't that amazing? Can you imagine watching this and seeing that legion go away? I can. Let me tell you why. I've had poison ivy for 15 days. That's why. Right? We went out and helped someone uh, clear out their backyard, someone that was in need of, of some help. And I went in my normal work attire, which if you were imagining me going to work attire, it was shorts, T-shirt, and flip-flops. Right? Those are my work boots, okay? Not anymore, okay? But we went out there in shorts and flip-flops, and now I have poison ivy on both legs, on my arm, my hands are swelling up. Thank you, Julia, for checking out. Make sure I'm going to be okay. Uh, but, man, it just, it, it just attacks your body, right? And all of a sudden, like, and I'm reading the story. I'm like, Lord, if you will. I've tried to use the line. <laughs> i tried to use faith. i tried to use everything, like, Lord, during second service, third service, next service, something, Lord, just help me to go through this. Because, man, I can't even imagine having leprosy because, Poison ivy is enough. It's that itch and those, those things that are there. But, man, there's a desperation that I understand just a little bit of in this wanting to be healed by Jesus. And Jesus heals him. He says, it will be done. And Jesus said to him, look at Jesus' words because I don't want you to miss this. He see, see that you say, no one, say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for proof to them. So here's what he tells them. Right, here, go to the priest and present the gift. What gift is that? Let's go back. You know I like to go back to Leviticus, right? Go back to Leviticus chapter 14. So in chapter 13 of Leviticus, we see all the laws, which, by the way, I would have to start yelling unclean according to the laws because it's been over two weeks. So unclean, just so you know. Okay, if I'm fist bumping you outside, you know why. Um, so in chapter 13, it gives you all the rules in dealing with leprosy, but 14 gives you the rules for the cleansing of leprosy. If you're healed, if the spots go away, here's what you're to do. Look at this and see if you see any echoes from God's plan in this, this story. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leprous person for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall look. Then, if the case of the leprous disease is healed in the leprous person... The priest shall command them to take for him who is to be cleansed two live clean birds and cedar wood and scarlet yarn and hyssop. And the priest shall command them to kill one of the birds in an earthenware vessel over fresh water. And he shall take the live bird with the cedar wood and the scarlet yarn and the hyssop and dip them and the live bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. 
and he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed of the leprous disease. Then he shall be pronounced, then he shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird go out into an open field. What's going on? So many things. Why two birds? This has echoes of the Day of Atonement. Do you remember the Day of Atonement? Where we had two goats and one of them was sacrificed and the blood was sprinkled on the altar. And the other one, they had a cord tied around him and was let loose. We've heard that term, the scapegoat. That it was let loose into the wilderness. The one that was to be, um, your sins are thrown out as far as the east is the west to be judged. And the sacrificial lamb, the sacrificial thing that was going to cover your sin. And you see in this leprous um, idea that someone who's been cleansed, that they're now their soul. It's this picture of our soul now being cleansed as well. That what was once internal became external and the blood would cover their sins. And how many times did they sprinkle the blood? Seven times. How many times did Naaman wash? Seven times. There's this beautiful consistency through the scripture of God making him clean. And then when Jesus came, he became the perfect sacrificial sin for us. Once for all. Now we're cleansed once for all time. What a beautiful picture. We see this in this healing. Why does Jesus ask him to go to the priest? So that he can see the beauty of salvation. The beauty of this cleansing and what it cost. But that's not where Jesus stops. Because then, when he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. All right, so Jesus is in Capernaum, right? He's come into the town. Here comes a centurion, right? This is a, a Roman soldier, right? Over a hundred men, right? This is his job. He's moved up the ranks to be able to be this commander now over a group of people, right? And he rides up to Jesus and he asks for about his servant being set free. This word for servant is about a young child, a young male child that is paralyzed, that, that something happened, right? And the centurion's asking Jesus, Hey, can you heal him? And what does Jesus say? Yes, I will come. This is scandalous. This is crazy. Is, is a Jew allowed to go into a Gentile's home, especially a rabbi? Absolutely not. But listen, customs and tradition are not the law. Right? The, the, the customs and the traditions that people begin to build about things, that isn't what God is about. Jesus tells us what he's about. All through the Old Testament, he's about the broken, the hurting, the poor in spirit. And he's, he's willing, I'm willing to go and to heal this young boy. I'm willing to go into your house. I'm willing to go eat with sinners and tax collectors because he's the great physician, the, the, the church should be the hospital that the broken come to to find Jesus, right? This is the idea. This is the picture that we see. Yes, I'll go in. I'm willing to go. But look what the centurion says. It's so amazing. He says, but the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you under my roof. What? This Roman soldier in charge of 100 men of Rome that conquered the known world at that point He's not worthy to have a Jewish carpenter rabbi come into his house. Do you see how the centurion's thought process is different? He's meek. He's humble. Like, I'm not worthy to have you under my roof. But only say the word, and my servant will be healed. 
For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled. And he said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with one, no one in Israel have I found such faith. Whew. Can you imagine Jesus like looking at the centurion, maybe on the horse, maybe jumped off the horse and fell down at Jesus' feet. And he's like, he looks to the crowd and like, nowhere in Israel have I found someone that has the faith of this man who doesn't even need me to go to the house and, and wave my hands over him and do those things. He says, just say the word and it's done. That's power. If Jesus can just say it and it's done miles and miles away, his name is power. Right? We just sang that a second ago. His power. He can heal. He, he can do this. And the centurion believes. And he looks around and he tells them, nowhere in Israel have you found this faith. But then he keeps going. I tell you, many will come from the east and from the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Woo! It got spicy up in here. He's like, nowhere else have I seen faith of this man. He's going to be sitting at the table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Remember, in the Jewish tradition, only the Jewish people were saved. That your birth meant everything. Who you are at birth, being in the chosen people of God, that meant you had entrance into heaven where Jesus is saying, hey, if that's all you're trusting in, where are they going to go? Where are they going to be? Where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Because those that have faith, no greater faith have I seen than this man. Gentile, soldier, conqueror. No greater faith because entrance into heaven is based on faith. Do you believe? Have you trusted him with all of your heart, all 100%? Not the 98 and you keep the 2% of your sin hidden. All of it. The centurion is going to Jesus with all of it. right? And he, and he tells him, man, many of the people that think they're the people of God, they're not. It reminds you what we read about in the Sermon on the Mount because we're going to see the Sermon on the Mount being played out. It said, you said, Lord, Lord, but I never knew you. And there's a group of people that are going to say these things, but they don't have faith in the only Son of God. And to the centurion, Jesus said. So then he turns back to the centurion. He says, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Woo! That's awesome, right? You imagine, like, Jesus just says it, it's done. And the centurion leaves with expectation. And he finds those things to be true, right? It's just a beautiful story of this centurion that believes. But listen, I need to warn you, in our world out there, people twist this story. They take this story. Do you remember last week we talked about beware of ravenous wolves that come in sheep's clothing? Do you remember that story? One of the stories that the world out there tries to pervert in a, in a sick way is this story. Let me tell you why. Uh, go back to the beginning, okay? It talks about the centurion comes and he asks him um, to, to help. Um, he appeals to him on behalf of this servant, right? This word servant is the word pies, right? It's this word that is the base word, right, meaning child or young boy, right? But what happens is later on that word became a part of the word 
pedophile, the young child, and then erotica is the second part of that, right? And people would say now that what the centurion was asking for was for Jesus to heal his young child concubine. That's what he's asking for, right? That's what the world out there, you can go search it if you want to. You want to go down a rabbit trail. They would say that, so this story is about Jesus reaffirming that pedophilia is okay, reaffirming that, the, that he has no regard for sexual purity, that this is what, that's a lie. How do we know it's a lie? Well, let's look, let Bible interpret the Bible. Where are the other places that this word is used in just the book of Matthew? How is Matthew using it? Here's the first time. It's in Matthew chapter 2. Herod commands that all the payas under two years old are killed. What do, we, what do we see that word as? The word child, right? Do we think that Herod is asking the soldiers to kill all the male concubines under two years old? No, that doesn't fit that usage of it in that passage. Or perhaps Matthew 12. Let's turn there. Turn a couple pages to the right. We'll see the story later on, but I think it's good for us to talk about here. When you look at this story in Matthew 12, you're going to notice this word, paez, show up once again. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. And many followed him, and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen. There's that word. My servant. Paez, right? My servant whom I have chosen. My beloved with whom I am, my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. Who is this servant? Jesus. This prophecy is about Jesus and he uses the same word as this young child. See, a beautiful story about a centurion who loves even those servants that are in his home and loves them and asks Jesus for healing. This beautiful story, the world has perverted into this story that is not true. That one person tries to twist and make it into their own sort of thing. Don't let them go, oh, that's an interesting thing. Thanks for sharing that with me. Let's go see where that word is used in other places. Let's see if this is really true or not. And what you're going to find out is that they're trying to twist the scriptures to make themselves feel better about something that's going on in the world instead of what the truth really is. A beautiful story about a man with power submitting to the Lord. That's the picture. The other way that people try to twist the story of the centurion is to say it was the centurion's faith that healed him. And if you just had more faith... You would be healed. That if I just had more faith, my poison ivy would go away. And it robs Jesus of the power. Jesus is the one who healed this man. Right? Now, did the centurion have faith enough to go approach him? Absolutely. But Jesus is the one who does the work in our lives. And we have to remember that. Whenever we try to make more of ourselves and less of Jesus, it doesn't go very well in our lives. When we make more of Jesus and less of us, praise the Lord. It ends up in praise. In fact, look at this very next story of healing in this. It says, and when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever, and he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and, and she rose and began to serve him. Like Jesus comes into Peter's house, which mother-in-law means that Peter was married, right? And so Peter was married. He had a mother-in-law. He comes in. No one asked Jesus to heal. No one said, heal according to my faith. Jesus sees someone hurting that he has a relationship with, and he heals her. And what's so incredible about all three of these stories, they're so different. They're so different. Right? We have this outcast, unclean, who asks Jesus, and Jesus touches him. And he goes, we have this man of power. He's the in crowd. 
He's the popular kid, and he asked for his servant and healed. And we have this, this woman that is, is Peter's mother-in-law who Jesus heals because he has a relationship with her. We see all of these pictures, and all of them scream out that we have a merciful king, a king that cares about his people, doesn't just sit up on the mountain, but loves to walk alongside those that are broken. And in fact, many, many, many more are brought to him. It says, that evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all their sickness. This was to fulfill what the prophet, I, what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. And this quote is out of Isaiah 53. And I want to close by just reading this quote out of Isaiah 53. When you hear it, just think of Jesus and what he has done for us. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, and as one to whom men hid their faces. He was despised and esteemed not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed. All like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. This is Jesus. The one who was sinless took on sin to set us free. And was willing to be pierced for our transgressions. And willing to be crushed for our sinful thoughts and our sinful ways. Let's praise him, right? Lord Jesus, we thank you for being the atoning sacrifice for our sin. And Lord, you love the broken. You love those that are contrite in spirit, Lord. Thank you for what a, what a beautiful picture this is, Lord, of you healing and bringing back hope and bringing back life into the leper and into this, this servant boy, Lord, and into Peter's mother-in-law, Lord. You could bring that same hope into our lives if we put our faith completely in you. And Lord, as we get ready to celebrate a baptism together, this beautiful picture of death and and resurrection, Lord, that's there, Lord, may you be glorified in everything we do. So Lord, help us this week to glorify you day by day and minute by minute by worshiping you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, church, we are so glad that you chose to join us today for worship. I pray that you were blessed with the time that you've been able to spend at God's throne, and so I just, we, we're glad you're here. We're thankful for you, and we have a few things we want you to know about. First things first, we have a hospitality team meeting next Sunday, October 8th, after the third service. Um, if you're interested in joining um, our, our hospitality team, which is an amazing ministry here at the church, they, they served at the marriage conference yesterday, and they, they serve often, and they're, they're an amazing team. If you're interested in joining that team, please join us uh, next week after the third service for an information meeting, for, for a meeting about that. And if you're already on that team, we also want you at that meeting as well. So this meeting is for people already on the team and people who might be interested in joining the team. So we hope you would join us for that next week after the third service. Uh, this is rest week for path groups. So if you're in a path group or you're a path group leader, in case you didn't know, 
rest this week. Take, take the week and rest and take that time. And with that, we're also not going to be having kids ministry. And so kids ministry and path groups, you guys get the rest. If you're in refuge, sorry guys, we're going to keep rolling. Refuge youth is going to keep going. So youth ministry is going to keep going. So we'll have youth this Wednesday. So we'll see you there. And as Chris said earlier, we have a baptism after this service. So as you leave today, I would encourage you to just join us outside um, for a baptism as we celebrate what Jesus does, as he saves lives, as he saves us and loves us. And that is the Jesus we get to know and get to take part in. Um, I want to close with this verse. Jeremiah 17, 14, it says this. Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved, for you are my praise. Church, I pray he would be your praise this week. Thank you all for being here. You're dismissed.